It's time for JT the Brick. JT. Woo! Hey, girls. How are you? Wow, I can go in 10 different directions today. Carr looking downfield. Devontae's wide open at the two. Grabs it. Touchdown, Raiders. The defender had fallen down, and Devontae Adams has his second touchdown grab of the half. JT the Brick. I think it's so important, especially for this new generation of Raider fans. Now we got some. Now we got some guys out of the tub, out of the training room, doing what they needed to do. The light hand up to Jacobs. Huge hole up the middle, 10. Cuts right side, 5. Touchdown, Jacobs. The hat trick in the end zone. His third rushing touchdown of the day. This is, this is what the Raiders are all about. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT, thanks for joining us. Big, big show today, and... We're excited, really embracing the opportunity for the Raiders to stay alive in a do-or-die game. Coming up in a cold-weather game in Pittsburgh tomorrow. The Raiders leave tomorrow for Pittsburgh to get in there, get acclimated quickly, and get ready to beat the Steelers on the weekend of the Immaculate Reception 50-year anniversary. Welcome in, JT, at JT the Brick. Start dialing now if you think the Raiders can win this game. That's really much what I got today. This I got to raise the roof here and do what I do best. I got to start motivating some fans that this isn't over yet. This isn't over yet. This is not the offseason yet. You know, we got to get this thing going again, okay? It's the end of December. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you before the new year. We'll be at the M Resort for the pre- and post-game show on Christmas Eve. But I got to get this place rolling, and that's what I get paid to do. I got to get you motivated that you believe the Raiders can win this game. And by diving into the stats today, I interviewed head coach Josh McDaniels about an hour ago at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. He looks great. He's excited. They're excited to go, and they're a better team. I mean, they are a better team. They have two quarterbacks that have more interceptions than touchdowns. Their leading receiver on the entire year, their number one receiver, who has 77 receptions, which is a pretty good number, has zero touchdowns. And their running back, their great running back, Najee Harris, averages 56 yards a game. And that was my criticism of Josh Jacobs before this year. That Josh Jacobs was a good back, very good back. And I understand why they didn't give him a contract extension. He was one of these guys who would average 50 to 60 yards a game. Anybody can do that in this league. Give me a break. Josh Jacobs playing on a contract now. You feel like you're going to get 100 a game from him, if not more. So I looked at the stats and dove into it with the Steelers on offense. It's the Patriots. It's the same thing. It really is. a matter of fact, I think the Patriots have better players than the Steelers do on offense. And we saw that Pittsburgh, we know Pittsburgh's defense and their DNA and their culture, very similar to what we just saw with the Patriots in their defensive pass rush. To me, it looks identical what we're seeing between Pittsburgh and New England. An offense that doesn't have much of a vision, an offense that just doesn't want to turn the ball over, and a defense that could go win the game. The Raiders have a powerful offense on paper and a defense that at times keeps the Raiders in games, but it's not a very good defense. Not very good at all. So this is a team that has clearly a better defense than the Raiders. The Raiders have to play well, bend, don't break on defense. But when is the Raider offense once again going to show up and put together an assault on a team and kick their bleeping ass? That's all I want to know. And maybe you can help me. And this is a tough one because of the weather. You know, Josh McDaniels, when I spoke to him an hour ago, 
He's coached a lot of big games in that building in Pittsburgh. I mean big games. Much bigger than this. With all due respect to the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Deception. Josh McDaniels coached the 2004 AFC Championship game when Tom Brady had 103-degree fever and won. And they were going up against guys that were really good and big names in this league. Do you know how many times Josh McDaniels had to play and go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger and New England in the playoffs? Much bigger than this game. So one of the things I've been preaching here all year long, even though the record hasn't shown up, and the record would have been pretty good without some gut punches, dramatic losses, we all know that this is about an eight or nine win team. You look around the league, everybody, you see everybody else's record. Everybody else is a seven or eight win team, nine win team, except for a few. A lot of parity in the league this year, and the Raiders would have been above the parity if they didn't fall apart against Arizona. Obviously, Indianapolis, a team they should have beat, and then clearly the Baker Mayfield game. So with all of that, you know, I think the Raiders clearly are an eight or nine win team, but you are what your record is. They're better than this team. They're better than this team, and you normally can't say that about the Steelers or the Ravens. The Ravens or the Steelers every year have these epic wars and these 16-13 games, you know, 14-13 games. They're just bloody battles where no team can move the ball, and it's played right around between the 40s all day. This is the type of game we could see for the silver and black. But I think the Raider defense isn't good enough over the middle of the field to get off the field. But against this team, Kenny Pickett and what they have, they don't do much. So the Raiders' softness in the middle of that defense, that soft part that we talked about all year long, that shouldn't be a big problem unless Mike Tomlin is telling his entire staff, look, someone's going to have to throw the ball here. We can't run it all day. Someone's going to have to throw it, and if we're going to throw it against the Raiders, just dump it over the middle of the field where the linebackers are supposed to be. Get yourself an eight- or nine-yard gain and go to the ground. That's how you beat the Raiders. You pass over the middle of the field when there's no one there. And the Raiders, I think, are getting a little bit better at it, and they got some players who have been playing a little bit better as of late. And to Patrick Graham's credit, he had a 17-3 to lead last week. You know, and the Raider offense came out in the second half with nothing. You know, the Raiders had a 17-3 to lead and didn't score till under 40 seconds left in the game. If that happens here, season over. Goodbye, season over. Season over on Christmas Eve. I am asking for one thing, and you can help me out today. How do the Raiders play explosive in this type of weather? If it's not windy, it's just a cold weather game. The fact that they're playing it at night makes this really unique because you know what it's like when it's cold out at night and the wind's blowing in football, especially back in that weather. It is almost impossible to do it unless you have a short passing game. And the Raiders are supposed to have a really good short passing game because they got Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro. Those guys are supposed to be exceptional in the short routes in cold weather games where you can only throw it 8 to 10 yards. Advantage Raiders there. I think the big advantage in this game in a game like this, the Raiders and the Steelers don't have, which is the running quarterback. I love Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in games like this. Because in games like this, it's, it's so cold, it's so tight at the line of scrimmage that when the quarterback gets outside, he can pick up some yards. That's not going to happen in this game. Pickett's a good athlete, Carr's a good athlete, but they both don't run much. So I think this is going to have to be a little dink and dunk. I can't sit here and predict that Devontae is going to go 60 yards over the top here. If the weather's, 
if the wind is blowing and it's that cold. So that's as we start the show. It looks like it's going to be Najee Harris versus Josh Jacobs. I think the Steelers' offensive line is a little bit better than the Raiders, but the Raiders' offensive line is good enough all year to open up holes for Josh Jacobs. And can Josh Jacobs have a couple of big runs like he did up in Seattle? Could he get a a 50-yard run, a 40-yard run, and really get the Raiders going in this game? Really tough game to predict. You asked me a month ago, Pittsburgh stunk. I thought Pittsburgh would be long gone by now, everybody. They won their last three out of four. And the Raiders won their last four out of five, and the Raiders should have won five in a row as I revert back to the Baker Mayfield game. So this is a must-win for both teams. It's an elimination game. The Raiders are an underdog, but not really. Usually you get three points if you're the home team. That's two and a half. It's kind of a dead-even game here. The Franco Harris emotion, Franco Harris emotion is going to be there. I mean, I think the fans are going to be really loud. They're going to get there early. They're going to be there for Franco. I don't know if that's going to affect the game or not, but it's going to have the fans behind the players and the team. The team's going to be playing with the Franco patch. The team's going to be playing highly motivated for the Harris family who's going to be there without their father and husband right there at midfield getting his number retired. That plays a role. For me, it does. I'm a fan. You see Cliff Branch's ceremony? I love that, what they did for Cliff Branch here at Allegiant Stadium. They're going to try to do something not similar to what they did for Cliff, which was very elaborate, very outside the box, but it's going to be a cold-weather game. The Yunzers are going to be drinking their beer, and they're going to be drinking their beer. You'd think to stay warm. They're going to be covered up. They're going to have their gloves on. Raider Nation's going to be there, and it's going to be Christmas Eve. I'd like to know from you, do you believe the Raiders can pop out and wake up and be explosive in this type of weather? Can you compare this to a cold-weather game that you went to as a kid or you remember watching where the Raiders were able to attack in the air in the cold? 702-365-9200. Because I've been waiting all bleeping year for this, man. I really have been waiting all year for this team to come out and bury a team like this by throwing the ball all day long. Now, what they do up front They clearly have a pass rush similar to the Raiders when the Raiders have Max Crosby all in, which he's always all in, and Chandler Jones is playing well. They clearly have a defensive front here who's pretty good, and I'll mention those players throughout the course of the show today. But it's going to have to be smash mouth in your face, Josh Jacobs, on first and second down. And then on third down, Derek's going to have to make a play. Derek Carr is going to have to make a play in the passing game, throughout the game, in the cold weather. No excuses. Not that he makes any excuses, but somebody's going to have to make a play. And this is, again, on Derek Carr, who's in his ninth year playing a kid who's never played a game in the NFL in these conditions this time of year in an elimination game. Derek's got to outplay Kenny Pickett, period. He knows it. I just said it. So do you have confidence that Carr can put up 250, 280, two to three touchdowns and be the difference in this game? I think he has to be. Here's Derek Carr from yesterday with everything that's happening, these crazy games, all these dramatic moments in all these games, especially coming off last week and how he's handling it. Yeah, honestly, like over the years, like, you know, the perfect example is, you know, last game, you know, we didn't execute on that four minute when it was four minutes left and. You know, we're like, well, the defense got to get the ball back. You know, not sitting there stressing out or anything like that. We get the ball back, you know, you know, with a certain amount of, you know, no timeouts, one timeout, whatever. And, you know, the situation, it's, 
you know, it's the next play. You got to execute the next play. And that's as a football player in practice, it's that way. Whether it goes good or bad, just execute the next one. You know, that we'll talk about that one later, you know, the one you just did. So I think you just get so caught up in a routine of, of how football goes that, you know, it's been nine years. I've almost played a decade of football, you know, in the NFL and so many close games and all that kind of stuff. Like, at some point, it's just like, all right, well, whatever the situation is, I got to try my best. If there's eight seconds left, okay, I got to throw a Hail Mary or, you know, whatever it is, you just, you know, you just focus on your job at, at hand and you don't worry about anything else. And he's very good at that. I think one thing, uh, one of the many things about Derek, even his critics say, you know, Derek doesn't get flustered a lot after a game that's kind of slipping away. He goes out there. We've all seen Derek Carr over these nine seasons bring the Raiders back on the road at home in all different types of atmospheres. He's pretty good at that. He really is. Now, there are games you'd like to see him bury teams. That's kind of what I'm insinuating with in this monologue. Brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Thanks to Golden Entertainment and everything they do. I got a Golden Entertainment dinner tonight with our proud partners. I'm proud to be associated with PTs as they fuel the monologue. So back to Derek. I'd like to see Derek bludgeon some people and put them away by 40. I've been saying that all year. I don't know anybody else on the radio saying that other than me. I think that Derek's got to have the mental mindset to blow teams out by 40 when he has everybody at full strength. But I can't do this in this game. If the Raiders can win this game for us, I can do that next week against Brock Purdy. I got a week of Brock Purdy staring at me. I can go with Brock Purdy. I know that Carr can go toe-to-toe with that great Niner defense because Brock Purdy is the other quarterback, and he ain't going up and down the field, I can promise you. He ain't going up and down the field all day at Allegiant Stadium. But Derek Carr can. But again, the weather keeps bringing me back. I want to be let out of the cage. I want to say Carr's going to put up 40 in this game, but I don't know the weather. I don't know if we'll be able to throw it 20 yards in that wind chill. But Carr, Carr owes us, in a good way, in a fun way, a great game in Three Rivers. As Franco Harris is getting his number retired, I believe it's an important moment for Derek Carr to have a really good game and step up under that type of pressure. Now, he's talking about you know getting rid of the last play and getting ready for the next one. His chemistry with Matt Collins is real. On that fourth down play, going to Matt Collins instead of Devontae? Are you kidding me? I was right there. I was right there sitting in the lower bowl. It's fourth and ten. I'm just looking at Devontae because Devontae better get the ball. Because if he doesn't and it's an incomplete anywhere else, there was going to be a lot to talk about after that. But Carr stayed with Hollins, who he's building chemistry with. I'm very proud of him. Um, you know, he trusted. He bet on himself. He wanted a chance. And he worked really hard for it, and he got it. And he's, he's uh, you know, hasn't been absolutely perfect. Um, no, one, no one this year has. But, you know, he's made some really big plays. We've needed him, um, especially with all the injuries we had. Um, we've needed him in big moments. And I, I found someone I trust. You know, I found someone that um, you know will do the right thing. You know, more times than not, and um, come down with the ball for me and all that stuff. So, I'm proud of him. I think he's got career highs and everything. And you know, you you know what that means to me. You know, having a guy come in and be able to help. You know, be a part of that with somebody that that means a lot to me because you know there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And so um, the the way he's been able to play for us has been awesome. Not just special teams, but on offense and going to him in the most crucial down, fourth and ten, you know, if we don't get it, it's over, you know. And we go right back to him, and he makes a great play for us, two in a row, actually. So he's someone that we have trust in, and I'm really proud of the work that he's put in. 
That's a really good sound bite. That's an outstanding piece of sound on Derek Carr and what it takes to build trust in this league. That's what Aaron Rodgers is having a problem with in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the trust in his young receivers yet, and he doesn't have the time to build it. Aaron Rodgers is almost done. He's a four-time MVP. He doesn't want to start from scratch with a young receiver and build them up because he's going to be out of the league in the next two or three years, most likely. Derek's talking about that opportunity to build something special, and he's doing it with Hollins. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I am not always comfortable with Foster Moreau and Mac Hollins catching every ball. I'm not. I don't think you are either. Sometimes I expect to drop a game from Moreau or potentially Hollins, but I know they'll bring in a big one because Carl will go back to him and give him another chance. I'm a Devontae guy, as you know, more than Jacobs. I repeat, this isn't a bad thing. I love them all. Okay, I like everybody. I'm a Devontae guy. I give the ball to Devontae more than anybody because I've seen what Devontae can do at a superstar level. And I don't think that you can shut down Devontae with the double team. I don't think the quality of player on the Steelers can shut down Devontae. Now, when we get to the Niners, that's a different story. The Niners have much better players than the Steelers. And if they wanted to take Devontae out of the game, they could do a, little, they could do a pretty good job at that. But having play action and all these opportunities, here's Derek with all the weapons, all the opportunities they have, all the potential good chaos that can happen when they go into any game. Absolutely. I would. Absolutely. I got a lot of quarterback sneaks in my day. He wants to be the type of guy that can run and do whatever he needs to do. And I think he might need to sneak it in there, whatever that was, as we get rolling here. One more from Carr before we get to your phone calls. Again, you should be dialing right now. I'm looking to know from you simply today, how do the Raiders play explosive in this weather? I'm not into doing a show today on like three yards of carry, four yards of carry crap. I want to know how the Raiders, I want to know how the Raiders make a couple big plays in this game because I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with it trying to figure out how they, how they attack downfield in the weather because I'm not a weatherman. And I want to figure out what's going to be going on here and what they need to do. And finally, uh, for Derek, this last soundbite, is each day. It's been a really up and down time. It's been up and down since they moved to Vegas. Think of what Derek Carr has been through with the rug situation, with the coaches, all the coaches he's lost, the new coaches, two of the most complex schemes in the history of the NFL, John Gruden and Josh McDaniels, back-to-back. I mean, this guy's taken on a lot, and he does it a good job. Every day he shows up ready to go to work. Kind of like I, I try um... – you know, just going off of experience of last year, just trying to focus so solely on this game because I know that, you know, I want to talk about it. And as a human, you know, you have, I could have things to say, but like it really doesn't matter unless I handle my business today. And so just going based off of how I you know, thought I did well and things I didn't think my mindset and all that kind of stuff like this year, I'm just trying so hard to focus on the Steelers, <laughs> you know, because I know that if we take care of business, then we focus on the next one and, it's, it's not going to be easy. We've got a you know, tough team that we got to go to their place you know, on the road. It's uh, good defense. You know, they got a you know, good upcoming offense, young guys. And so for us, like, we're so focused on this, like the, the numbers and all that. Like, you know, it's hard to stay away from it with how the world is today, but you try and stay away from it as best you can. All right, so that's enough. Uh, we got a lot of Derek Carr here in the monologue. And what are your expectations on Derek having a big day? And how he can do it. If Derek, if Derek, and for those who are saying, why is he talking about Derek so much? What are you talking about? The season's on the line. It's an elimination game. He's the franchise quarterback of this team. He's very good. And he's bleeping a lot better than Kenny Pickett. 
What, what else am I going to do here? Say that Carr should come, kind of come across conservative in this game? Derek should do what? Derek's got to be great in this game and bury this team. Bury this team because he's a quarterback who can do it. I don't think Kenny Pickett can do it. I don't think Brock Purdy can do it. I didn't think that Matt Ryan can do it. There's a lot of other quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence could do it. Raiders were up 17-0. Trevor Lawrence is a hell of a player. And he has the ability to play explosive. We've seen Mahomes as the Raiders were up 17-0 on him. You go up 17 points on Kenny Pickett, you should feel pretty good about yourself. Raiders were up 16-3 on Baker Mayfield. I told you how good Baker Mayfield's been the entire time I've been on the radio. He was ready to come back. He was ready to come back and lead that team. So I'm hoping that Derek has a big game. I hope that Derek is ready to go. I hope that you people wake up out of your little snooze and get ready to go too. And we get going. This isn't a podcast, everybody. This is a live radio show. I've been ready, I've been ready to go for 21 minutes. Phil Villapiano just confirmed he's in Pittsburgh for Franco. He traveled a really hard road yesterday, losing one of his best friends to get to Pittsburgh, and his best friend isn't there. One of his best friends isn't there, Franco Harris. Can you imagine what this conversation is going to be like? Phil Villapiano next. Lee Sterling is going to pick games for us. He's got three freebies for you coming up, and Eddie Pascal from the Raiders digital team and podcast department is going to join us next. All right, we're ready to roll. We'll come back. We'll talk to Phil in Pittsburgh and get an accurate update on what's happening with the Franco Harris family, what's going on with the events that they had lined up. I think they canceled a few of them. And uh, get Phil's vibe because he's there. And I wish I was there. I bet you you wish you were there too on Christmas Eve with the Raiders in Pittsburgh. But the Raider fans who are traveling, if you're going to the game, let us know about your travels. Man, it's going to be tough to travel tomorrow and, and get ahead of that storm. And what's it going to look like in Pittsburgh on Saturday night? We're ready to roll today. Happy holidays, everybody. Twenty-two seconds remaining. And Bradshaw is back and looking again. Bradshaw running out of the pocket. Looking for somebody to throw to. Fires it downfield. And there's a collision. That's got that's cut out of the air. The ball is pulled in by Franco Harris. Harris is going for a touchdown for Pittsburgh. Harris is going. Five seconds left on the clock. Franco Harris pulling the football. I don't even know where it came from. JT back with you. The 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Franco Harris passed away. His dear friend, Phil Villapiano, who had to travel all day yesterday to Pittsburgh, kind enough to join us. And, Foo, I feel so, so sorry for you, my friend. Uh, prayers to you and your family on the loss of your great friend. Yeah, thanks, JT. And uh, I just listened to that play-by-play. I can't believe that 50 years later, I can't believe what what happened. And... Uh, God, amazing, amazing that, that that play happened. And Franco was uh, the recipient of that unbelievable lucky bounce. And he took it and ran with it. And JT, I'm in Pittsburgh, and this whole town is mourning Franco. 
Everybody is talking about Franco. And everybody, JT, they all have stories. I I talked to a lady last night who told me she was falling down in a store in Franco Quarter. And I'm like, come on, you know. But that, and and then we're we're driving in the uh uh, the car back from the airport last night, and they had the stadium lights were on in honor of Franco, and they left them on all night. Crazy! This town is Franco Harris nuts right now. Yeah, and hey, Phil, Phil, let me ask you: How did you become such great friends with him as such an amazing combatant? When did the friendship really start to flower for both of you? Yeah, kind of, kind of crazy, JT. Even though. Um, you know, it started, we started being friends even before we probably should have started because we had a whole bunch more games to go against each other. But here it is. Um, you know, um, I win the rookie of the year, Italian American rookie of the year in New Jersey. Okay. And the award is given out in Trenton. That was 1971. Franco wins the Italian-American rookie of the or rookie of the year, a, a player of the year in 1972. I mean, I didn't know Franco had, you know, he's mm-hmm. Italian. But his mother and my father came from the same, like, county in Italy. Wow. So my father and mother go with me in 71 to this dinner and my father loved it because everybody could talk Italian and all that stuff. So we got now. I'm in California, so I'm not going back the next year. Franco wins the award. He goes with his parents and his mother and my father. Uh, the, 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 you know, they found out that they were from the same area and they spoke the same dialect, and they had a ball all day talking Italian. And Franco was laughing like crazy. So. Then we go, I finally get some time with him, and it's like probably 73, 74, my first Pro Bowl game. And Franco goes, did you know about our parents? I said, Franco, I hear about it every day. The more <laughs> my father loves you because your mother talked Italian with him. And Franco said the same thing. So we had this bond, our, our parents bonded, and then him and I, you know, playing in the Pro Bowl games together, and we were on the same team then. Yeah. We just took a real good liking to each other. And JT, you know, I I had to be careful because I like to play a certain way, especially against the Steelers. And I liked it, you know, mm-hmm. even though he became my friend. Nah, oh, for sixty minutes he wasn't my friend, but after that we became good buddies, and then. You know, and the, the medical reception happened, and then Franco started calling me. You know, when cell phones got invented, he started calling me at 3.06 on December 23rd, wanting to know what I was doing. Oh, you know, that's so good. 10 years ago, 15 <laughs> years ago, 20 years ago. And I remember the 40th anniversary out here. He invited me. What a weekend. And I, I got beat up by this whole town all weekend. You know, I was the bad guy. But it made me and Franco even closer. And JT, we were working on this weekend for so long, you know, and all these things. We had events planned all over the place. And, um, you know, this naturally 
he dies the morning of, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, we everybody was flying in, you know, yesterday and uh, he's got, uh, he's got the uh, hall of famers all here. He's got Steeler guys came all in for this, you know, yeah. the celebration of the Immaculate Reception. And what we got to do now is turn this into a celebration of Franco's life, you know, which is bigger than, bigger than anything. JT, what a, it's like, it's like Franco is like Jim Otto walking around Oakland, you know? Yeah, I, I can everybody imagine. Knows Every, everybody. Phil Villapiano joins us. Phil, it's just so bizarre for you because we talk a lot, and I knew you had this plan for a while because there's not many Raiders. I mean, Mike Ciani, you, there's not many going uh, and coming in the legends. It's more about Pittsburgh and Franco. So you were going to be there not only like a VIP, but representing this organization at this iconic anniversary with your friend and Franco. Yeah. And two days before it, he passes away, and you mentioned what the city is like there. Just incredible. How's his family holding up? Because I know you know the family. I can't imagine what they're doing and how they're going to grieve through this. Yeah, well, I, I, I really, uh, JT, I, 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 I'm, I'm biting my tongue because, but I just got, but, but we just got word from the sellers. So I'll tell you, I was been biting my tongue all day because I just, I feel like I have to step in and call Franco's son. And Doc, who's a lawyer, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, he's in his probably uh, thirty-five to forty years old. So he's not a kid. And I want to say, Doc, we need, we need, you know, you need to grieve at a different time. You can't do it now. This is too important. We need to turn the immaculate reception into, you know, everybody's here. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's uh, celebrate your father's life. He did so much for this town. He's a, he's the diplomat. He's the you know, he's the, he's, he's Mr. Pittsburgh. Let's not, you know, not talk about it. Let's yeah. not celebrate. Hit it head on. It's the perfect time. Plus, you got the Raiders here tomorrow night, you know, Saturday night. Let's make this a national event. And, and, uh, so anyway, just about when I was going to make that phone call, we got word from the Steelers that they are going to go ahead with the dinner tomorrow night. And, good. And, you know, in honor of Franco. So, meaning, in honor of Franco. Hopefully, everybody gets up and says something nice about our buddy, which I'm, I'm sure you I'm will. sure it's, that's what it's going to turn out to be. Phil Villapiano is our guest, Raider legend. So, a couple other quick things on this. Uh, Raiders put out that documentary, The 50th Year. It's brilliant. It's unbelievable to get so many of your former teammates in Vegas to watch the film. They had a physicist there, and you see the ball hit <laughs> Frenchie's hand, and then Jack blows it up. Walk me through the play again after the release of this new footage, because I can understand as a kid when the play happened, the velocity of the ball going backwards means that there was such a mass collision, which they were able to describe in the documentary, that, of course, Jack was bringing all that force in, but it didn't matter if Frenchie's hand was in front of the ball on the shoulder pad. And when Raymond saw that and George Bueller and Art Toms, and especially John Madden's son, they almost jumped out of their chairs. They couldn't believe the footage, and it looked like they saw something new, Phil. Yeah, and, and JT, you're right. I, I never saw that either. And, I, you know, I was very silent about, um, you, know, you know, once uh, some other footage came out, and we, you could see, but you could also see that Jack Tatum smashes right into the back of Fenchy Fuqua. No, I mean, he comes over to kind of come over the shoulder. 
So it could hit Jack Tatum's uh, Jack Tatum's shoulder pad. But when I saw that and I saw the hand, I said, oh, my God, you know, this, this looks <laughs> like the real deal. Yeah. And if it is the real deal, then the Raiders are right and, you know, the Steelers are wrong. But, JT, it took 50 years for them to come up with that. So the, those refs couldn't make that call. You know? Now, Phil, now, Phil, but, let me stop you because you got clipped. And I thought in, in the feature, too, I never heard you said it or I wasn't paying close attention. You didn't go down. And you said if you went no. down, it might have been obvious that you were clipped. Now, for those who yep. thought that you could get Franco or the Pittsburgh fans didn't know if you could catch him, I know one thing. You would have dove for him at one point. If you were close enough and you didn't think you could get to him, you would have left your feet and tried to get an ankle or a toe, and you would have tried to trip him up. How close were you when you saw the ball in the air? Franco's got it, and you're the guy who has the best angle at the time. Oh, yeah. JT, I had had it. I mean, I remember spinning around, and then I realized what was going to happen, and I never got one good stride that guy just nicks me and you know here's franco going full speed you know that way and i was i I was so close and i said to myself i could have made that play i know i could have made that play Mm. if i just wasn't touched but you know when you, you get hit and then i i i you know i really thought that i could catch you know catch my feet but if I would have went flat on my stomach, I got a feeling we could have got the call. But maybe not because we were in Pittsburgh and it was so late in the game. But anyway, that would have been a better thing for the Raiders if I would have flopped, kind of like we saw in the World Cup every day <laughs> um, when it was flopped. I, right. If I would have ever flopped and bounced around with like those guys, I think we could have got that call. Phil but, Villapiano, you know as we wrap, you go ahead, Phil. The, what, what was that? The physicist? You called him a physicist? I think he had something yeah. in Fuqua's hand, you know, mm-hmm. got in the way. And if he got in the way, if it went off that hand, we should have got the call. But naturally. Yeah, who, it didn't happen. Hey, Phil, finally, I, we, had, we had Raymond Chester on yesterday. And, you know, you see the yeah. delay and the delay. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. I grew up a Yankee fan, and they won a pennant one year, and all the fans were on the fence. And the second the play happened, Chambliss hit the home run. Not a hundred, thousands of fans got on the field before Chambliss got to home plate. And I'm thinking of you here as the fans are swarming you and on the sidelines. And I forgot that Raymond, they, it snaked through to Raymond on that final play. It wasn't really a Hail Mary. It was five seconds to go. How did you, with all that emotion, get to the locker room with, and make sure your teammates were okay? You had guys on their knees at midfield. They were still in shock. You didn't know where Madden was. Freddie Bolitnikoff's upset. How did you guys find your way through that crowd to the locker room? It, 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 JT, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. But there was nobody who was going to say anything to any one of us. I mean, we were so pissed at the time. Don't say anything to me. You're, getting, you're going down, pal. You know, it would, mm. that was the mood. Nobody, I mean, they, everybody was just dancing around, screaming and yelling. But, you know, we just, we knew where we had to get to, and we just got there. It was, it was pandemonium. JT, it, you know what it reminded me of? When 
when in Washington, D.C., last January 6th, when the crowd attacked the Capitol, that's what it looked like. Those people were jumping over the fence and coming onto the field. It was nuts, but they were they were coming onto the field in happiness, not like in right, right. Washington yeah. and all that shit. But it was, you know, and then we get in the locker room and Coach, coach couldn't even talk. He never heard... Yeah, we saw that footage. Hey, Phil, finally here, uh, as we let you go, I can't imagine what you're going to go through. You, and I hope to be a lot like you, I think I am, in this way with friends and family, you got to take charge here. This is your deal, man. you got to come in there representing Mr. Davis, Mark Davis, Mrs. Davis, the entire organization. You're inside the inside of this group, and you got to give Franco the send-off from the Raiders' perspective that only a great friend like you can do. I will do that, JT. I promise you that this I will I will be representing the Raiders and uh, and, and and the Davises and all of our fans and you and everybody. Yeah, I, I I will. First things first. I'm a Raider first, then I'm a friend of Franco second, and I will let everybody know that. And I'm just going to be very classy about it. We look. Mm-hmm. To, a beautiful, beautiful guy, but we'll make it very classy, and the Raiders always come out on top. Take care, Phil. Get the win while you're back there. The Raider fans want to hear from you, and uh, Godspeed to you and your family and Franco. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, JT. Merry Christmas to Raider Nation. Merry Christmas to you, Phil. Thank you. How about that? Wow. It is really deep stuff right there with Phil. Okay, it's all about Phil. To think of that, if you lose someone in your family or a friend, you drop everything period, job, whatever you have, and you go. But you can't do that in sports a lot. You can't miss a game. You can't miss a game. You have to be there. And, of course, Phil's going to go there, and Phil's going to have stories to tell out of that, and Phil will represent the Raiders the way he should as an ambassador for the Silver and Black there at Franco's funeral when it comes up and celebration of life. Uh, One of the deepest conversations I've ever had with Phil as he explains the immaculate reception, his friendship with Franco Harris, and What makes me feel really special about that conversation is you can be combatants, you can be enemies on the field and have a beautiful friendship like that and and evolve a friendship from 1971-72 when Franco was the rookie and have that relationship to 2022. Then you find out you lost your great friend as you were coming to celebrate his retirement of his jersey. Can't Can't imagine what that feels like. Thanks to Phil Villapiano. I'd like to get your reaction to that conversation. And Lee Sterling will come in quickly next. He'll give you three NFL games for free. If you gamble, you got to listen. Coming up next. If you're going to be somebody to be considered and taken seriously, you got you got to stack wins. And so hopefully it's a launching pad for us um, we move forward. Mike Tomlin, always the best interview after a game I've ever heard. Number one all time on the Mount Rushmore. Tomlin after a win or a loss. JT, thanks again to Phil Villapiano. What a segment with that on his friendship with Franco Harris. Lee Sterling joins us every week from Paramount Sports, ParamountSports.com. This is the sharp that I trust more than anybody. And, Lee, as we begin, happy holidays to you and your family. You do everything for us. We appreciate your loyalty to the show and coming on every week. Thank you. Thank you so much, JT. I appreciate it. That's what it's all about, long-time friendships. And, 
boy, we could be headed for one of the craziest weeks. I don't know if you saw the weather in some of these cities. Yes. Like Kansas City. I mean, we, we could have minus degree temperatures in a few of these games. Eight of the 16 games have totals before, uh, below 40 points. Is that common this time of year because of the weather in December, Midwest, and back east? How do you see it? Well, <laughs> it's not. Um, the last time it happened was week 17, all the way back in the 2011 season. And uh, I think it's a, co- a combination here of weather, uh, extremely cold, uh, rain. For instance, I'm in New York. It's going to rain tonight during that game. And, uh, and wins, high wins also. And then the topper, backup quarterbacks galore. Almost half of these games where the total is below 41 or both of the quarterbacks are not even starting quarterbacks to start the season. Well, here, here we go. We'll start off with Atlanta at Baltimore. I know Baltimore, you got it minus seven here. I think Atlanta blew this season. If they just wouldn't have collapsed, they'd be tied with Brady or they'd be a game ahead. And I don't know what they're playing for now in Baltimore without Lamar Jackson here as the line opened up at minus six and a half. It's at six and a half to seven where you got it. How do you see this one? Okay, so it's not likely, but they do remain alive here in the weakened NFC South division despite their 5-9 and nine record, Tampa Bay. If they lose a game, anything can happen, then every single team is tied in this division. Uh, Baltimore uh, playing a backup quarterback. Atlanta, now they're trying their highly coveted draft pick, Desmond Ritter. Uh, I- I'm not a fan of Ritter. I don't think he's a guy that's going to get you over the top. I don't think his passing game has evolved enough to hurt many other teams. But Baltimore's passing game is wretched. I mean, they only have the receivers – Six touchdown catches the entire season. Uh, they've only produced two touchdowns in the last three games. These are two of the top three rushing attacks here. Weather also, oh, let's go with the under here. And also, I think Baltimore wins at something like 16 to 13. So we'll grab the seven points in the Atlanta Falcons. All right, let's move to Cincinnati, New England. This is a big one. We just had New England and Vegas, and what a collapse that was where they had the Raiders pretty much beat, and the Raiders came back from the dead. And New England's got to win out. And we've seen Belichick before with all his Super Bowls. He knows the importance of this game. Cincinnati minus three and a half as New England comes home, a battered team emotionally and physically. Yeah, they're desperate, but um, they have one thing where they match up against Cincinnati really well. It's pass rush. Matthew Judon, he's a pro bowler. Uh, he'll get after the quarterback. And then underrated on the other side, Josh Uche. So mm-hmm. these two guys match up against the Cincinnati weakness here. Cincinnati's playing the first. Second week on the road, that's always tough to do here. And uh, maybe a little trickery. Uh, maybe Bill Belichick turns it around on the other side and they pull off a trick play and it actually works here. I have a strange feeling this line is scary here. I think they're baiting you to take Cincinnati after they came back and had an almost perfect second half here against Tampa Bay. I think Cincinnati's going to win this game 24-23, but New England covers the three points. New England covers the three. Leah, I'm so excited you gave us this game for free. We really appreciate it. You know the Dolphins as good as anybody I know. I don't think they're playing well. I think they're in trouble, and Green Bay is one of those teams that have to win out, and they need a whole bunch of help. You got an MVP four times over, and you got two of that people thought should have made the, uh, the Pro Bowl. He doesn't get in there. I don't like the way Miami is playing here, and I don't know how desperate Green Bay is going to be, but they can't afford to lose. Miami three and a half. Green Bay, give us this one. Oh, the NFL gave me a really tough schedule. Three straight games on the road, two on the West Coast. The 49ers and Chargers, and both those teams played well. 
and then having to travel to the Bills in horrible conditions on the short week. But now they get the extra day to prepare. And now the problem here lies for Green Bay. They are playing on the short week. So I think the Miami offense played well, started to run the football. Their offensive line is getting healthy. They put up 29 points in some horrendous conditions. And people talk about bad calls. I mean, the Washington Giants game interference call, absolutely. That was bad. There was another one in the Jets game. They should have called an interference before the half that would have probably given the Jets the ball in the first down and a touchdown. That would have meant four more points and a win for the Jets. Maybe the worst was in overtime. The back judge ends up throwing a flag before there's even contact. So I think Miami's mad. I think Miami's at home. It's going to be hot. Green Bay's going to have trouble covering Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell mm-hmm. here. Sometimes you got to lay it if you want to play it. Miami 30-20. to 20 over Green Bay. Miami by 10. Lee Sterling, Miami outright over the Green Bay Packers. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com. Finally, your game of the week is a big one. Uh, Dallas minus 5 at home against Philadelphia. We know that Jalen Hurts isn't going to go in this game, but I also know from you texting me, you got some big information coming up on this game. Yeah, I think I've got the right side. You want to get it for free? Call 800-400-9741. Again, the number 800-400-9741. We'll give you the game for free. And how about this special? We've never done this before. Normally, you have to be a season or a monthly client to get games this time of year. Last year in the bowl, we hit almost 70% of our bowl games. You get the NFL next two weeks. You can also get all the college bowls for the next 10 days. Basketball and hockey, where we're winning also. 10 days, all three sports, all access pass, just $97. Books out to less than $10 a day, just one place. ParamountSports.com. Happy holidays, Lee. We'll talk to you next week. You're the best. Thank you. Thanks, JT. Lee Sterling. How do you not do that? Again, he's a friend of ours. He's transparent. He puts his picks up, win or lose. He's got one of the longest track records in town, unlike some of the scam artists who are entering the world via Twitter and have never bet more than 10 bucks on a game and don't tell you if they win or lose. That's a guy. Call at ParamountSports.com. Go on the site. Tell him JT sent you. We thank Remy Quantro, inviting you to one of the largest holiday experiences happening in Vegas and Chant at Resorts World. Start your adventure in spectacular story-themed Christmas, light maze. You can light, lace up the skates, go have a Mount Gay rum and a botanist gin. Take the kids out there. It's incredible. I've been out there twice to enchant at Resorts World because of Remy Martin. Team up for excellence.